morning. We are in a series in 1 Corinthians, the week, uh, wow, I shouldn't have started that way, four or five, five, I think. I think it's week five. Anyway, um, if you have your Bibles, love you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter five. Um, so we're heading through a, a series in 1 Corinthians, and t- next week, Aaron Hickson, Aaron, uh, not Hickson, Aaron Patton is going to be preaching week six of this series. Uh, but today, we're going to change gears in, in 1 Corinthians 5. The first four weeks of the series were all about unity. And uh, there was some significant mess, messes in 1 Corinthians, in the, in the Corinthian church. Paul was writing this letter to the church saying, it is a mess. And one of the sources of the mess was their lack of unity. And not, not just their lack of unity like, yay, we're all pulling together, but but more their lack of unity around this person, Christ, and, and the relationship that they all have with Jesus. And he says that uh, the cross ought to unify this body of believers. Because at the cross, we all realized that we were equally sinful and equally in need of a Savior. And so if, if anything would unite, it would be the cross of Christ. It should be the cross of Christ. And so he writes this letter, Paul does, to the church in, in Corinth. Actually, he writes four letters. We have two of them, First and Second Corinthians. He wrote a letter before First Corinthians. He wrote a letter between First and Second Corinthians that we don't have. But he wrote First Corinthians basically to slap them up, to say, you guys are so messed up, and here are a number of ways. And one of the sources of the problem is this unity problem. You are not united you have a position in Jesus Christ. You don't practice it. You're not living that way. You ought to be united around the cross of Christ. So today, though, after saying unity, 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 Paul throws a zinger in there in chapter 5 and says, oh, by the way, yeah, you need to divide. <laughs> so, so chapter 5 is all about here's when we need to separate. And this is a hard passage because it... It flies in the face of, of an American value. And the American value today, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the American value today is no one has the right to judge anyone else. You do not have a right to judge me. And in America, that is a mantra that gets spoken, yelled over and over and over and over and over. How dare you judge me? I'm allowed to do whatever I want. I'm in America. Home of the free. Right? Hey, I can do what I want. Don't judge. And so we're told over and over and over and over in our culture, in our society, in our world, not to judge. Well, Paul's going to say, oh, um, here's, here's what God thinks. <laughs> so we're going to find today that Christians are supposed to judge Christians. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 13. Here we go. I'm going to read the entire chapter because I think it sets context, and I think we need context in a passage like this which kind of flies in the face of what we would normally think. So 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. 
Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has done this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new, unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festivals, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you may not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is, is it? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. <clears throat> okay, so that's chapter 5. Um, obviously, Paul is hot and bothered. I can see him. This is one of those letters that he was probably thinking faster than he was writing because the thoughts were just coming. He's like, oh, and okay, wait. I've had those moments where I just want to type faster than I'm thinking. Because I'm thinking like, oh, this is what I want to say, and I'm not that fast a typer, and there's a lag. But obviously, Paul was bothered by this situation. So let's, let's dive in and, and see. I think my problem with chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians is it's very clear. These are not... These are not debatable verses like these are these are crystal clear they kind of just say something and and chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians is highly ignored so very rarely will you find a sermon on 1 Corinthians 5 you know why because it's hard to obey <laughs> we don't want we don't want to hear that we want to hear kumbaya ah just feel good and Paul puts this in. So, so I want to start by saying this. Struggling with sin isn't the problem. Defending sin is the problem. See, we, we all struggle with sin. Struggling with sin, the fact that somebody sinned, that's not what Paul is addressing. Paul is addressing the fact that they're defending the sin. And it, it's not just a sin, it's a it's a present tense, this man is sinning and is continuing to sin. It's a lifestyle of sin. So, let's look at, at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. So, 
So Paul had got a report that there's this guy in the church in Corinth who is sleeping with his stepmom probably, because if it was his mom, he would have probably just said his mom, but probably his stepmom. And Paul makes note that this type of thing isn't even acceptable to people who don't even believe in God. Like, your neighbor who doesn't even believe in God would say what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> there's, there's no debating. And so Paul, Paul writes and he says this, it's been reported to me that you've got this guy in your congregation that is actively sinning sexually with his stepmom. And what he's doing is so bad that you, even people who don't believe in God think it's bad. But I don't think Paul was shocked by the sin. I think he was shocked by the church's response to the sin. Verse 2, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship, the man who has been doing this? So apparently the people in church, they were proud of their tolerance. We are not judging. Look at us. Yay! You can come to our church and you can be so free. You can do whatever you want. We will never judge. The tolerant church. And they were proud of it. Like, oh yeah, you go to that church? Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, no. No, you should come to our church. Why is that? You can live however you want and you can come to our church. Oh. Now, now some of you are thinking, well, wait a second. I thought Bridgewater was that church. And, and I, would, I would say, here's what Bridgewater, here's what I believe Bridgewater is a great place for broken people who are sinners. No question about it. Bridgewater is also a place for people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus alone and are followers of Jesus who are on a spiritual journey to be more like Christ. That means that we sin. There's no question about it. Paul's problem isn't with a sinner. Paul's problem is with a continued sin that is being boasted about. And this man apparently is thumbing his nose at God saying, I know what the Bible says, I don't care. And they're saying, yeah, we're fine with that. So Paul's problem is that they're proud of it. The, the church is not only ignoring the commands of Scripture around sexuality, they're going one step further and they are celebrating what God had clearly called a sin. And Paul says you should kick the guy out of church for his behavior. Because he's continuing to sin, knowingly, outwardly thumbing his nose at God. And, and I would say this, we divide over clear commands in the Bible that are ignored. Unite, 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 okay. But, but Paul is saying there has to be a division when it comes to clear biblical commands that are ignored. I know that's what the Bible says. I don't care. 
We, we don't divide over someone who's trying to do the right thing and failing. Now, you may not realize this, but Bridgewater practices this dividing. It's called church discipline. And at Bridgewater, if, if somebody who identifies as a follower of Jesus and says, I am a follower of Jesus, was, I'll just use this as an example, was having sex with his stepmom, and he was approached and, and told, that is, that is wrong. Here's what God says about that. And the person says, I don't care. Well, then Bridgewater would divide from them. And in Matthew 18, it talks very clearly about what to do. It says you go individually and have a conversation. And if the person is not responsive, you take somebody with you and have a conversation. If the person is still not responsive and says, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to do this, this is fun, then Matthew 18 says, then you, you divide. And that's what Paul says. Then we divide from them. And at Bridgewater, we would say, okay, you, you cannot be a member in good standing at Bridgewater if you are living a lifestyle of sin and calling yourself a follower of Jesus. You just can't. And here, they, they deal with it a little different because they probably, church in, in the first century was a little different. In the first century, for, them to, for Paul to say, cast him out, that would have been a huge deal, a huge deal for, for this man. Um, there's persecution going on. Acts chapter 2 talks about the, the early church, and it says they had everything in common, and they were meeting together daily, and their number was growing every day, and they shared, had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and giving to people who had needs. <clears throat> if this man was told that he couldn't, be a part of that, it would have been a killer for him. Because oftentimes, people who are followers of Jesus would lose their livelihood. They would lose their homes. They would lose their families. And now all of a sudden, Paul is saying, no, no, no. Divide from him. Now, there's a verse in Scripture that, that people are going to think about. I know. It's, math, it's a Matthew 7, 1. It says, Do not judge, lest you be judged. And this is a verse that gets thrown around a lot. Oh yeah, well you're not supposed to judge me because the Bible says don't judge me unless you could, or lest you be judged. Don't judge, don't judge me. Don't judge me lest you be judged. I like using the word lest because when can you really use that in real life? Lest you be judged. Okay, well this passage, Jesus was talking and he was telling the people, hey, be careful when you point out somebody else's fault. Because oftentimes we have a log in our eye and they have a speck in their eye and we're quick to point the speck out. So, so you need to be self-aware. You need to have humility. There needs to be some accountability before I approach somebody else about what I see in their life. I don't think, Jesus, and I don't think you could go to Matthew 7 and come up with an actual real, honest, expositional sermon that says that Jesus was saying, don't judge ever. He was saying, when you judge, you better do it with the right motives 
And you better do it in humility because we are all sinners. That's what Jesus was saying. I, I, uh, look, at, look at verse 3. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, uh, for my part, even though I am not physically present, Paul was in Ephesus, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. Paul says, I have already judged him. But Paul, how can you do that? Oh, I can do that because we judge behavior. Our behaviors, as a Jesus follower, my behaviors need to be judged. People need to watch how I live and make a judgment. And I hope they make a judgment that, oh, that guy, he's a follower of Jesus. Wow. If only I could be a follower of Jesus. Paul says, I've already made the judgment. I already judged the guy. <laughs> we make judgments all the time. I don't know. We wouldn't have a judicial system. We would not have a jury who comes to a verdict ever if we didn't allow people to judge. I don't know if you realize that. If a, uh, if a man shows up at my door tonight and he's got a doobie in his mouth and he's got drugs in his pocket and a six-pack, you like that, don't you? And a, uh, a six-pack under his arm and I know him. He's a known drug dealer in, in town. And he says, hey, I'm wondering, can Jesse come out and hang out with me tonight? He's my 11-year-old. I better make a judgment, right? Like, I, I better make a judgment. And my judgment will be, no way. What are you, crazy? I'm not letting my 11-year-old go hang out with you. Oh, judge not, lest you be judged. Oh, no, no. It would be ungodly and unwise for me not to judge. I judge every boy who thinks my daughters are cute. As I should. That's right. That's right. I feel that way. Right? I mean, any of you that have daughters... We make judgments. Paul says, I've already judged this guy. The Bible makes warnings about superficial judgments on motives, but it is clear that as a follower of Jesus, I need to judge other followers of Jesus' behaviors. Paul goes on, verse, verse 4. So, so when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord is present, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. <laughs> that seems pretty serious, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, he could have said a lot of things here. He could have said, you know, ah, just be careful about that guy. Ah, yeah. Give him a special pew to sit in. I don't, I don't know. But he says... Hand this man over to Satan. Now, that's not a spooky reference to a, a religious ritual or, or anything like that where we hand somebody over to Satan. That's, I, what Paul is really saying is he, his actions are worldly. 
How he is living, his lifestyle, is very worldly. He is certainly not living a spirit-led life. Satan is the prince of power of the world. Just give him over to the world. Let him, let him follow. Let, divide from him. Let him follow the world. That's what Paul is saying. His actions are already worldly. The only way he is a Christian is in name only. So hand him over. I think where we go wrong here is we forget what Jesus said in that Matthew 18 passage about, he says, when somebody is sinning and they haven't, re, they haven't responded to the one person who goes to them and confronts them, they haven't responded when two people get together and go to them, this follower of Jesus who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, and the, the people in church are saying, but you're not living that way. And, and then the church gets involved, and if they say, I don't care what God's word says, I'm still going to just live and do what I want, Jesus says, then treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. I think something that's important here is to remember, how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He loved them. <laughs> he cared for them. He showed concern for them. And I, I, think, I think sometimes where, where we go wrong is we don't love people enough to tell them where they're violating God's word. That takes risk. And then once we do that, we don't love them enough to try to restore them because look what Paul says at the end of this verse. Hand them over to Satan, but then he says, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. You see, the purpose of dividing, the purpose of church discipline is restoration, not punishment. That's the point of Paul's message. Paul's saying, this guy's got sin. It is awful. You guys have a terrible response to that. You're lifting it up saying, yeah, well, yeah, come to our church. We've got a guy sleeping with his mother, with his uh, stepmother at our church, and we're fine with that. You'll be great. Come on in. Like, you're boasting about it. Stop. Recognize that there's sin. Divide. Why? Because ultimately, we love this guy, and we want him to be restored. It's very fascinating. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, so this would be the next letter, actually two letters, but the fourth letter that Paul writes. He, he writes, uh, listen to these verses and think about this situation right here. I urge you, uh, let's see, verse 6. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Many Bible scholars believe that that 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, is talking specifically about this man in 1 Corinthians 5. 
who has since repented and turned from his sin. And Paul is saying, you got to love on him. (laughs) That's the point. Restoration is the point, not punishment. I think as a church, sometimes we miss that one. We think, oh, treat him like a tax collector, treat him like a pagan. And I look at Jesus' life and I think, oh, I know how Jesus treated those people. That was great. Like, he really loved them. He loved their soul. So the purpose of, of church discipline or, or dividing is, is restoration, not punishment. Now, maybe, uh, maybe even as you're sitting here, you're wondering what this all means because you, you heard that the Bridgewater is a loving church. You heard that we want you to come in as you are and we're not afraid of your mess and that's absolutely true. But obeying 1 Corinthians 5 doesn't make us unloving. It actually demonstrates our love. Because it is never loving to overlook a Christian's self-destructive behavior. It is never loving for me to overlook my friend, my brother in Christ's self-destructive sinful behavior. If people really, really love me at church, they should love me enough to confront me. I had, a, uh, I had an incident when I was in my 20s. I was uh, speeding home from work. And there's this one road by Lackawanna State Park in uh, Susquehanna County or Lackawanna County. Anyway, I, I was flying home. And there's quite a stretch where you can, you can really get some good speed. And uh, there's a double yellow line there that's just avoidable. And so... My, my sister, my little sister was in the car behind me and I was making good time home. There's a car that I'm coming up on and I just, just blew past him. Oh man, it was like indie-like. And right when you get past, you, know, you swerve in and it feels cool and our car's coming and it was, it was kind of fun. And uh, I got up on the crest of the hill and I was waving my sister on because she had a blind spot and she didn't know what was coming after that car. And so I'm saying, come on past, come on past. And she went flying up. And then I saw her stop, and she pulled in behind. And I was like, wuss. And so I took off and flew home. And uh, I went to my parents' house. We were eating supper that, that night, and then I was going back to the, the dorm. I think I was in, in college or, or seminary, studying to be a pastor, a hypocrite. Um, and uh, Rochelle said, you know who that was? No. She said, that was Pastor Greening. He was our pastor at church, and um, yeah, I was like, oh, stink. And she was dating his son at the time, so she had pulled up next to him, he had waved to her, and then she had pulled in behind him. Now, it, would, it, it was loving for Pastor Greening to have a conversation with me on Sunday. 
And it was, it was a fun, awkward, weird conversation because I was feeling very awkward and weird and very sinful, and he was just kind of smirking at me. But if we love each other, we have those conversations. We have them out of love, not out of spite. But it's never loving for somebody to overlook a self-destructive, sinful lifestyle. And I would say the difference there is that's one instance of, of sin, but, but what about a lifestyle of sin? And I think that the Bible is very clear that followers of Jesus need to judge followers of Jesus. We've got we to gotta keep moving here. Um, verse 6, here's what Paul says. Your boasting is not good. He's telling the whole church, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may have a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Five times in the New Testament, yeast is used as a symbol of sin. And so Paul is saying, hey, just so you know, you add a little sin into your church, and you just allow it to be there, and you all know about it, and you boast about it. Yeah, we're proud of that. It will affect the entire body. I don't know if you remember Achan in the, in the Old Testament. There was this guy, Achan. Um, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, went and attacked this city, and they were supposed to plunder it, and they were supposed to burn everything um, in Jericho. And this man, Achan, took some stuff, and he hid it under his tent. That group of people then said, all right, now let's attack Ai. And they went up to Ai and they ran. And Ai was a little teeny town. They should, have, they should have destroyed it. And they're like, what just happened? 36 people died. Like, what just happened? I cannot believe that we lost to that in, the, in that battle. And come to find out, Achan had sinned. And Achan's sin had affected the entire nation. That's what Paul's talking about. A known lifestyle of sin by a follower of Jesus in the body of Christ, un, not confronted, undivided by, not, not, not dividing from it, it will impact the entire body. And it will have an adverse effect. For a Christian, loving intervention is the right thing to do. Contrary to public opinion. Now, I think, well, let me just read, read what I, I wrote here. If, if it gets to the point where, where even after loving intervention, a person will not change from their sinful lifestyle, we are told to not let them remain in good standing in the church. This does not mean we don't want them to attend church. It doesn't mean we'll put a guard out in front of church and kick them out. We want them here. They need to be in a loving environment. But we can't pretend like a follower of Jesus living a destructive lifestyle against what God commanded is good. It's not. And the church was somehow pretending that that was just fine. Verse 9, here's what Paul says. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral, immoral people. So I think what Paul was saying is, 
hey, remember that first letter? Not the one we have. I told you not to associate with those people who are living sexually immoral lifestyles. So I wrote in my letter, and there was a misunderstanding apparently, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or, or the greedy or swindlers and, or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. Paul says, I think there was a misunderstanding. I told you to avoid these people, but you somehow think I meant avoid everybody who's sexually immoral or everybody who's in sin. And he says, I wasn't, if, if you were going to do that, you'd have to leave this world. <laughs> there are people everywhere who are sinners. I wasn't saying that. So apparently they were separating from everybody. And he's saying, no, 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 don't, don't do that. I think sometimes we try to hide from this world, and, and that's not what God intended. Um, verse 11, he says, but, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. Okay, so that's how he makes the, def, the differentiation. He says, if they're a follower of Jesus, that's what I was talking about. If they're a follower of Jesus and they are living a sexually immoral life, do not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindle, swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Paul is saying that we need to distance ourselves from those who claim to be followers of Jesus but continue to live in a sinful lifestyle. The, the list of sins is not exhaustive, obviously. He's just pointing out that when there is sin and people are knowingly sinning and they're thumbing their nose at God, saying, I don't care what you say, I'm going to continue in my sinful lifestyle, you cannot act like everything is just fine. You certainly cannot boast about it and run ads in the paper that say, look at our church. We allow this guy who's sleeping with his stepmom to come and he sings in the choir and we're fine with it. No, no, no. You can't boast about it. You can't be happy with it. A follower of Jesus living a sinful lifestyle will impact the entire church. Do not even eat with such a person. I, I do think that's a, a very significant phrase for the first Corinthian church, for the first century church. Eating was was Eating together was a very, very significant part of their lives. I think, though, today it would be like it would be like catching around a golf, acting like everything's fine, just acting like everything is just fine with the person. I, I don't think it's actually the act of taking the food, um, but if you act like everything's honky dory, Paul's probably saying, "Ah, you." can't do that. It's not honky-dory. They're in sin. They're living contrary to what God says. These verses are great until you have a friend who actually is living that way. And you have to have a conversation. And then quickly we say, well, I don't think that's what those verses mean. Could they mean something else? No, they're just, they mean what they say and they're just hard. So I don't want you to miss anything. I, I just here, here, let me just summarize the, the whole message in these points, and then we're done. 
Too many Christians, or too many churches ignore the blatant sin of Christians. I really think that's true. And it's sad, but I can see how that would happen. Too many churches ignore sinful lifestyles of people within the church who say they are followers of Jesus. I think, secondly, too many Christians ignore the blatant sin of other Christians. You know why we do that? Because it's hard and awkward to have those conversations. I don't want to do that. Who wants to do that? Typically, people come to me and say, hey, did you know da 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 Will you talk with them? <laughs> it doesn't seem fair. And I say, oh, Matthew 18 says you need to talk to them first, and if they don't respond, then come get me, and I'll go with you. I think there's a way, there's a biblical way to do this. Thirdly, too many Christians think that our job is to avoid non-Christians. And I think that couldn't be further from the truth. I think we are not supposed to isolate as followers of Jesus. We're supposed to infiltrate. John 17 says, live in the world, just don't be of it. Don't isolate. Infiltrate. If, if we were supposed to isolate, wouldn't, wouldn't he just take us to heaven right now? Like, why would he leave followers of Jesus on the earth? If we're just supposed to isolate, he'd just take us to heaven. But he left us here. Why? Because we're his plan to infiltrate those who are far from Jesus. We are his only plan. There's not a plan B. The church is his only plan. And if we isolate and we don't infiltrate, we're missing out on why God left us on earth. That's our mission. We, and too many Christians hunker down and try to survive. We have the good news of Jesus. We need to infiltrate. 1 Corinthians 9, 22, Paul says, just a few chapters from here, I do all things that I might win some. Paul says he'll be a vegetarian the rest of his life if, it, if he can win some. Like he's crazy about infiltrating. Finally, too many Christians judge non-Christians by Christian standards. You see, where we go wrong too in the church is I think if we take this and, and, and we begin to look at people who are not followers of Jesus and say, oh, but you're living a different... Yeah, that's not, that's not our role. It's not our job. My job is not to judge those people who are not followers of Christ. They're sinners. Guess what? They sin. In fact, they're slaves to sin. They can't even help it. They're like we were before we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. They need a Savior. So pushing my moral standards on people who are not followers of Jesus is not my job. I went way too long, but it's a heavy passage. <laughs> so what? So here's four things that you could do, possibly. Maybe you need to have, maybe you need to confess and repent of your sin today. Maybe, maybe you yourself. Maybe somebody here, some of us here, maybe are living a lifestyle of sin. And 1 Corinthians 5 only applies when a follower of Jesus is thumbing their nose at what God says. 
does not apply to those of us who hear the message and say, I need to change my lifestyle and repent and work on changing. Well, that's, then you're out of 1 Corinthians 5. That's great. Praise the Lord. Isn't that all of our lives? We all want to live like Jesus and we all sin and we all ask for forgiveness and we try to live like Jesus again and again and again. But maybe it's you today. We have a forgiver. We know who he is. Secondly, maybe you need to have a loving conversation with a believer that you know is walking in open, unrepentant sin. Tough conversations, but if we love, we will do that. Thirdly, maybe, maybe you need to decide whether the Bible is going to be your ultimate authority or not. Is, is the Bible going to be the authority of my life? If it is, 1 Corinthians 5 applies. And finally, maybe, maybe you need to pray that God will restore someone. I have a couple friends who are not living how God wants. I need to be praying for them constantly. I do not pray for them enough. Not that they'll be punished, that they'll be restored. That's the goal. I wrote this in closing. God hates sin, not only because it's against his holy nature, but because it destroys the very creation he made in his image. We need to hate sin like he does. And I wonder sometimes if I just don't. Let's pray. Father, I, this is a heavy. First Corinthians 5 is heavy, and I'm sure Paul felt that when he was writing it. Um, I'm, I'm sure that after writing about unity and unity and unity in the Christ and the cross and our unity around the cross and forgiveness and how we have a position in, in Christ to confront this probably wasn't on the top of his list of exciting things to do. But it's in your word and we want to talk about it. Father, I, I ask that you would protect your church from sin. Um, God, there's, there's not anybody here who's not a sinner. And, and I know that I sin. And I just pray that you would help, help us not fall into a lifestyle of sin. Help us not thumb our nose at you or at your word because we love our sin more than we love you. I pray that we love what you love and hate what you hate. And God, I, I pray for Bridgewater Church that you would protect us. Help us to be a church that treats sin the way you want us to treat sin. Help us to love each other enough to keep short accounts as well. In Jesus' name, amen.